Let's pray. Father, once again, we praise you for who you are. And Lord, I do praise you that, God, through the storms, the storms of life, God, you are our rock. You are our cornerstone. And now, Father, as we open up your word, we ask that your spirit would be our teacher and our guide, that, Father, you would speak and your children would hear. God, help us to apply these things, Lord, not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. And God, we just give you this time. We commit our attention to you. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your word. Feed us, we pray. We're hungry and we need you. And we just thank you and love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I kind of changed the beginning of the sermon a little bit. I was reading a little bit about the social gospel of the 19th century. And do you know many people get the gospel of Jesus Christ confused with the social gospel of the 19th century? The social gospel has its origins in the late 19th century after the urban industrialization, after the Civil War. And the social gospel emphasized Jesus' ethical teaching. The problem is they believe that simply ethical teaching could change a human heart. It could change poverty and inequality, and especially those things caused by capitalism in America's different cities. Some people took the saying of Jesus to love thy neighbor to a whole new level, trying to alleviate the suffering of the less fortunate with a socialistic agenda. While some of these things are great causes, hear me, we love to serve our community. We love lost and hurting people because we are some. We love to do things. But hear me, social warriors cannot remedy the real problem inside of man, and that's the need for Jesus Christ, the need to be saved and their sins forgiven. You may remember back when we were studying the book of Colossians that we learned that the Bible uses the word mystery all over the place, talking about God's secrets that were unknown to us unless they were revealed by his inspiration through his word. Ever since sin entered the world, man has been separated from God Almighty and the world has been falling apart. Simply look outside. But God's will and his character comes from his heart of love. And the Lord desires all to come to repentance. And so now the Lord has made his plans known to those of us who are in Christ. The New Living Translation of Ephesians 9 says it this way. God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ designed long ago according to his good pleasure. So if you are in Christ, you actually become a part of God's inner circle when it comes to mysteries. And they're revealed to us, including the one that will all be united in Christ someday. Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he set those plans into motion. And now today we're going to learn about God has called us to be stewards of another mystery, and that's the gospel. So keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we continue in that verse-by-verse -verse study. Let's catch up real quick where we were from last week. Last week, we talked about rewards and judgments. 
And, and Jesus basically, through the Apostle Paul, asked the question, what is your life? What is the foundation of your life built upon? Paul said, I gave the truth of the gospel to this church. And if this church is to survive, it has to have as, as its foundation the gospel. Here's the key, and don't miss this. We should do plenty of good things for our community. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be the foundation if our church is going to ever do anything that has eternal value attached to it. That's got to be our rock. Jesus is the rock. And every kingdom citizen needs to build their life upon Jesus Christ. We talked really quickly about the judgment seat or the Bema seat of Christ, where God rewards those who faithfully serve Jesus. And our motivation should not be to get rewards, but to know God better and to please Him. And so today, again, the Apostle Paul is once again going to touch on human wisdom versus godly wisdom, and then he's going to explain how we are to be stewards of the gospel of Christ. So if you have your sermon notes there on your chair, Roman numeral one, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. If your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians 3, begin at verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and that they're futile. Here, Paul quotes two different Old Testament passages. The first one is Psalms 94, 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man and that they're futile. But then in the book of Job, Eliphaz tells Job that Job was not seeking God and that he was not committing his cause to God about his affliction. And this is what Job 5.8 says. But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. There in your notes. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. Now, I am told oftentimes by my partner in life, Sandra, that sarcasm is not a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> and I don't know, I'm pretty well versed in it, so I, I don't know if it is or isn't, but Paul seems to be a little sarcastic here. I mean, look what he says. If any of you seems to be wise. I mean, doesn't that sound sarcastic to you? It does to me. You know, Corinthians considered themselves wise and they knew everything about human wisdom and they had a humanistic worldview and, and they didn't have a Christian worldview and they knew the smartest of people. And Paul says, if any of you thinks you're wise, you ought to become a fool because then you'll really be wise. Warren Wiersbe said, the world depends on promotion. Prestige, influence of money, important people. But catch this, the church, not so. It depends on prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit, humility, sacrifice, service. The church that imitates the world may seem to succeed for a time, but in the end, 
It will be ashes in eternity. So Paul here denounces humanism. The Oxford Dictionary says about humanism that it's an outlook or a system of thought attaching prime importance to human reasoning rather than supernatural matters. There in your notes, humanistic beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasize common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. In short, humanism is relying on the natural man apart from the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. There in your notes, so we can either depend on the Lord for the answers of life and godliness, or we can lean on humanistic reasoning and wisdom, which will fail us in the end. We must rely on and surrender to the Holy Spirit in order to operate in God's wisdom. I, I love that the psalm says, God will turn it into nothing. You know, why doesn't anything work out for me? Why does it seem that all my plans come to nothing? It's pretty simple. We've said this before, but God's ways seem almost unbelievable, unfathomable to us. But the wisdom of man cannot compare nor understand God or how his salvation works. So in essence, what the Apostle Paul is saying in these first couple of verses is, don't let the world or your own flesh deceive you with useless wisdom. And then number two, don't boast in men. You're a child of God. Look at verse 21. Therefore, because of that, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So when we read this, like I said earlier, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Nothing new under the sun. If you look back over history and kind of study history, there's nothing new under the sun. And you might think that the church at Corinth was all alone with glorying in men. Just look at us today. We look at athletes and celebrities and other people of influence of our day, and we praise these people. We spend billions of dollars a year on sports figures and, and even sometimes church leaders if they have this huge following. We celebrate people because they have a trust fund. Nothing else. They're known for nothing else but having a trust fund. Or, or maybe they're an influencer on social media. Hey, look at me. Selfie. I'm eating a pickle. Hey. <laughs> That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> but when we praise people or things, instead of praising the Lord, something is terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. The word boast in verse 21 means to glory with reason or without. To glory with reason or without. The King James Version of 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, Therefore, let no man glory and men. There in your notes. So as Christians, we're told plainly, let no man glory in men. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. 
Again, Warren Wiersbe said, the members of the Corinthian church were glorying in men, and this was wrong. There in your notes. They were comparing men and dividing the church by carnal deeds. Had they been seeking to glorify God alone, there would have been harmony in the assembly. Think about that. Had they been seeking to glorify God alone, there would have been harmony within the church. Why was there disharmony in the church? Because they were pitting one man against another and they were glorying in men rather than God. And, and then notice what Paul says. All things are yours. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Paul in Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and catch this, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What does Jesus own? What does God own? And if we're his child, we're joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Wow! You know, people talk about your 401k and what the stock market's doing. Well, you ought to see mine. Wow! My 401k in heaven is amazing. Matthew Henry said about 1 Corinthians 3.23, and you are Christ and Christ is God. He is the Christ of God, anointed of God, commissioned by him to bear the office of mediator and to act therein for the purposes of his glory. Note, all things are the believers that Christ might have the honor in his great undertaking and God might have all the glory. There in your notes. God in Christ, reconciling a sinful world to himself and shedding abroad the riches of his grace on a reconciled world is the sum and substance of the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? There it is. That God was in Christ reconciling a dead and broken and lost world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, here, here's your call, the word of reconciliation. There's your call. So Paul is also reiterating the idea of stop pitting leadership against another. I like this guy better, I like that guy better, stop it. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ. No leader of the church. Stop it. All right. Roman numeral three. Servants of Christ. Look at chapter four, verse one. Servants of Christ. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. So the word servant here means under rower under rower it's the same word by the way used for minister it's the same word used for slave or servant it can be a, an attendant of the king it can be a servant it can be a slave so when you hear someone say hey there's minister rich basically what they're saying is there goes that slave <laughs> let me tell you something i discovered in the last couple of weeks i've said this before but boy howdy did it come true in the last couple of weeks you know when you don't want to be a slave for Christ? I'm going to tell you this is a little secret. You know you don't want to be a slave for Christ when someone 
treat you like a slave and you don't like it. I discovered last week I don't like to be a slave for Christ. So there was a problem in my heart, right? Because you're saying, I'm a slave, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. Oh boy, am I a bondservant. Oh Lord, I'll serve you, I'll go anywhere. And then someone says, but I want. And you go, oh, how could they? I discovered that. So you'll know if you don't want to be a slave for Christ, if someone treats you like a slave and you don't like it. Every child of God is a steward. And that means a manager of someone else's property. Everything I have belongs to somebody else, and I am simply the caretaker. All my time, all my talents, all my gifts, all my treasures belong to somebody else. And I'm simply put in care of that. So a biblical picture of this is Joseph in the book of Genesis. Genesis 39.3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was, from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread that he ate. There in your notes. Joseph was trusted by his master, and everything was under Joseph's control, even though it was still owned by his master. Do you understand? that Potiphar didn't even know what he had. I don't even know the, the balance of my bank account. I know nothing what's in my storage room. All I know, I come to eat, and there's food on the table. And everything this guy Joseph does is being blessed by the hand of God. So I don't care. Do it. But Joseph didn't own that stuff. Potiphar still owned it. And, and as a Christian, that's how we're to look at our stuff. You know, if you hold on so tightly to your stuff, and you're a true child of the living God, he's going to help you. And it may not be in the way that you're thinking. Wearsby said, the responsibility of the steward is to be faithful to his master. A steward may not please the members of his household. He may not even please the other servants. But if he pleases his own master, then he's a good steward or servant. And so here Paul says that we're stewards of the mysteries of God. And let's really quick, we talked about this in Colossians, but really quickly just touch on a couple of the mysteries of the New Testament. We see the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, the mystery of Israel's blindness to the gospel, the mystery of the New Testament church where both Jews and Gentiles become one body, the bride of Christ, the mystery of the Holy Spirit coming to live within believers, the mystery of the Trinity with Christ bodily representing the Godhead, and the list goes on and on and on. Colossians 1.27 Paul said, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ left the temple and made you the temple. And so the mystery that this lost world needs to hear is the gospel. The fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth to suffer as a sinner to be beaten and whipped and put on a cross, to die, to rise on the third day, that you might have life. 
This world literally needs to hear that. You know, so many folks want to clean people up to bring them to church. Let's buy him a new outfit, you know, tell her to wear a different blouse and tell him this and tell him that. And some of those things will come once the Holy Spirit convicts them. But you know what the world needs to hear? Jesus loves you. Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came to save lost sinners. And by the way, as Paul would say, I'm the chief of lost sinners. I was the chief. And so this world needs hope. We live in a hopeless world. Have you not noticed? I mean, just driving, and I'm getting off track a little bit. You'll forgive me. That's okay. Just driving, even in Klamath Falls, no one's got patience left. Everybody's cutting everybody off. You go into a parking lot, you're taking your own life into your hands. <laughs> I mean, these people are nuts. And you go, what's wrong? What has changed in the last year and a half? They're without hope. They have no patience for anybody or anything. They're without hope. The Greek word for hope is the word elpis. And it means, catch this. This is important. Write it down. It's not in your notes, but make it in your notes. LPs, the word for hope. Joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Let me repeat that. A joyful and confident expectation, you're expecting it, of eternal salvation. That's hope. That's hope. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope, that's that confident expectation of eternal salvation, of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. What? Wait, wait. <laughs> Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now this hope, it doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Our inheritance is kept in Jesus Christ, kept safe in heaven for us. There's the hope. And we need to tell this hopeless world, there's so much more than this. The reason they're hopeless is they think that this is it. If this life is all we get, I'm hopeless too. You know, maybe I'll get to go out to a restaurant. Maybe I'll get to go in the grocery store. Maybe, maybe, maybe. That's all there is? No wonder why they're driving like maniacs. <laughs> all this hope, though, comes simple faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. This world is not our home. And the sooner we realize that, the more hope we'll have. And, and so my question is, how do we act as stewards or managers for God's stuff? Because that's what's important. David Guzik asked, what did Paul and the other apostles manage for the house of God? What, what did they manage? There in your notes. Among other things, they were stewards of the mystery of God. They managed in the sense of preserving and protecting and dispensed in the sense of distributing the truth of God. They managed the truth of God. What do people need? You know, sure, the guy that's homeless needs some help, no doubt about it. But you know what he really needs? He needs salvation. He needs him some Jesus. 
And a faithful steward of the mysteries of God will share the hope with an unsaved person because it's an inheritance that can't be touched by death. And that's true hope. Unlike lost people in our world, we have hope. And, you know, the days of, you know, I'm not a pastor, so I don't know how to share the gospel are long behind us. I've been, I've been talking to so many people, and, you know, there's, there's so many people. I know people are losing jobs. I know all the stuff that's going on. I'm not, I'm not blind to what's going on in the world. But we live in some of the most exciting times in the world ever. Ever. Never has there been a time in history when the Bible is coming to life before us every day out there on the streets. What are they going to do if you share Jesus? Ridicule you? Big deal. Be more indignified than this to share Jesus Christ. They're dying without him. They need it. And, and church, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, he, he can't help but come out. Can't help it but tell somebody. And, and so as Christ followers, we're instructed to make good use of our resources. And the best resource we have is the free gospel. The free gospel. Which brings up number four. Concerned with God's mission. Look at verse three of chapter four. But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before its time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. I love the Apostle Paul. You know, he gave up money, power, prestige, gave it all up to serve Jesus Christ. And he goes... I don't care what anybody thinks of me. You got to love that. I don't care what they think of me. And as Christians, don't get me wrong, we're all accountable to somebody. I, I'm not saying you're a lone ranger and just, you know, thumb your nose at authority. What I'm saying is, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what they think about you. And the truth be known, they don't think about you that much. <laughs> but our accountability is to Jesus Christ. When Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel, maybe you remember this story out of Acts chapter 4. Acts 4.18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. What an answer. Notice Paul says, In fact, I don't even judge myself. And some people could say that's arrogant, but the way I took it was, do you know that our own heart can deceive us? <laughs> do, you, do you know sometimes I can fool myself into motivation that's not right? I can say, I'm doing this with the right motivation. Hmm, maybe not. And, and how often do we judge somebody else without knowing the motivation of what they're doing? How many times has someone come to you and just laid you out verbally for doing something and had no idea I remember one time I had a church deacon come to my house. I'd missed a Sunday from ushering. And I'd ushered 52 Sundays twice. So 104 Sundays in a row I'd ushered. I missed one. This deacon shows up in my house, and poor Frank, he was ready for a tongue lashing. and didn't even know it. And he starts giving me a do-better talk of how irresponsible I was for not showing up, and I let him go. 
I gave this guy rope. I let him hang himself. When he got done, I asked if it was my turn to speak. And I said, well, gee, Frank, number one, did you listen to the church message service? Well, no. Well, I called at four yesterday morning with a message. And by the way, had you listened to that message, you would have realized we just had our fifth death in the family. And my wife's father passed away yesterday morning, and I couldn't make it to church. So I left the message on the answering machine saying I couldn't usher. I'm very sorry. Frank was a tender guy, and he didn't realize I was not. <laughs> we don't know others' motivation, right? We don't know. And, and so we've got to be careful to know what's in their heart. And notice Paul says, the Lord judges. That's so comforting. In the book of Genesis, we have this story, and I love this story, of the account of Jacob and his father-in-law, Uncle Laban. Maybe you remember the story. Jacob left Laban's house and didn't even allow the family to say goodbye or anything because there was all this conflict in the family, the poor treatment, the wages getting changed ten times, all those things. And so they take off. Laban comes to realize that some of his idols are missing because his daughter had stole them. So he catches up to the caravan, and after some back and forth, Jacob and Laban make a treaty. Genesis 31, 48. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me in this day. Therefore it was called Galid and Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. In this covenant, Laban expressed how suspicious he was of Jacob. Now, have you ever seen a Mizpah necklace? There are a lot of people who have a Mizpah necklace, and they think that that means a blessing. May God watch between you and me. That's not what it means at all. Mizpah, yes, watch, means if you do wrong, God's going to be on my side, and I'm going to kill you. So go out and buy a Mizpah necklace. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Basically, the covenant breaker will need God to take care of him because the other party is going to be able to hunt him down and kill him. But once a person becomes a believer and the Spirit of God is in us, that's who corrects us. That's who convicts us. That's who watches over us. So the local church, yes, we're to do correction. You ever heard this? Don't judge me. We're to do correction, but we've got to be sure. Got to be sure that we know the motivation of the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 4, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eyes, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul gives Three warnings about judging believers, and, and we should take heed. Number one there in your notes. Paul says they're judging God's servants at the wrong time. Notice he says when the Lord retur returns, he will evaluate. Number two, Paul says they are judging God's servants by the wrong standard. By the wrong standard. Use the word of God. Number three. Paul says they're judging with the wrong motive. These guys are trying to tear each other down. When you go into Matthew 18 and you read like verses 15, 16, 17, it tells how church correction should happen, right? Go to them one-on-one, -on -one, go to them two-on-one. -on -one. If they still won't listen, you know, then take them before the church. But it's always, 
every single time there's church correction, it's about reconciliation, not being right. It's about reconciliation. How can we reconcile the lost person? How can we reconcile the person caught in sin? And, and Galatians tells us those who are mature, go to that one and restore such a one. Restore. So if you're correcting for anything but restoration, you're doing it wrong. Okay, so let's get practical. Again, as believers in Christ, we're part of God's inner circles, and He has made us stewards of these mysteries. And the passionate plan has always been to save lost sinners, always. And so as servants, we are called to be stewards of that mystery. How are you doing taking care of God's mysteries? That, that's the question that we need to each ask ourselves. If I'm a steward, and a steward simply takes care of something that doesn't belong to me, how am I doing being a steward of the gospel? Am I hiding it under a bushel? Am I sharing it like he told me to? What am I doing with it? There in your notes, if we are stewards of the mysteries of God and the Lord is the owner of our lives who has a plan, what are we doing while we're awaiting his return? Christians living in the light of his return enjoy watching God, enjoy watching what he's doing, and share his mysteries. Our purpose is to be a good steward. And sharing the gospel comes down to this. Do you care about the person? Do you care about the person? There was an atheist, and I won't give him too much credit, who said, if the gospel is real, if this story of Jesus Christ is true, if it's real, how much do you have to hate me not to share it with me? Think about that. The gospel is good news. We sinned. We deserve punishment. But Jesus loves and paid the price. So let's close with a couple of reasons we should share the good news. Here they are. Three reasons we should share the good news and I'll stop bugging you this morning. Number one, we live in a hurt and broken world that needs hope. Look outside. After the fall of man, illness and all these things came into the world, and we live in this broken world, and they need hope, and we have it. Number two, you each have a unique story. Your testimony is so different than mine. There are testimonies of ex-drug addicts in here all the way to Christian school kids who, who remain pure in a marriage and everything in between. Your story is so different than mine, and someone needs to hear it. Share your story. Throughout the Bible, you see how people shared their unique story, but it all points to we were all sinners, and we all needed Jesus Christ. And then finals, there in your notes, God has called all of his children to share the good news. So that doesn't let you off the hook. We all have these different gifts, but we all have one purpose, and that's to glorify God. And if he gives us the opportunity to witness, then we witness. Like I said, we live in such exciting times, and I know that God is coming soon, and I'm not setting any time or doing any of that, but I know it's soon and very soon. Whether the Lord should take me home or he should rent the clouds and say, come up here, it's soon and very soon. And all I want to hear him say is, well done, my good and faithful servant. You took what little I gave you and did much with it. That's what I want to hear.
Jesus has given me hope. Are you a faithful steward with the mysteries that he's given you? And this isn't supposed to be a guilt trip because let me tell you, I don't think, you know, some of these different ways of sharing the gospel that you go up and ask someone, have you lied? What does that make you? I don't think that's the way. But friendship evangelism and just getting to know people and showing people you care will open doors and people are going to want to hear your story. You know, and, and let's face it, your favorite thing to talk about yourself, so <laughs> tell them about Jesus and what he's done in your life. They're dying to hear. They're dying for hope. And you've got the hope. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And every week we have elders and their wives who'd love to pray for you. If we have a couple of people in the hospital. I'm not going to name names this morning, but we have a couple of people in the hospital who are struggling with COVID. They went on trips or whatever. And and, and they just need our prayer. And there's, there's, there's actually several people who are either at home or in the hospital and different illnesses. So as we close this morning, I'd like us to just pray for them. If you wouldn't mind standing, and I know this isn't normal, and stand up, sit down, stand up, you get your calisthenics in this morning. But <laughs> let, let's pray for our brothers and sisters, and, and, and let's pray for this lost and hurting world that God has made us stewards of the mysteries to go out and reach. So, Father, we do love you, and God, I thank you that you've opened our eyes, that you took the scales off of our eyes, that, Lord God, you put the gospel in us, that, Father, we would receive your free gift, and we pray, Lord God, that you would make us good stewards of that message. God, give us courage and help us to realize time is short and not care what other people think as we share hope with a hopeless world. God, give us a courageous heart to do that, I pray. And Lord, for these folks that are in the hospital, Lord, and these people who are mourning over deaths and different things, God, you know each and every one of them. We don't have to list their names because you know them. They're yours. So we pray that you would take care of them, raise them up, God, be with them, be the God of all comfort to them. And Lord Jesus, help us to come alongside any way we can. Lord, we praise you. Thank you that you have a plan and a good plan for each of us. We praise you now. We give you this time of worship, and we love you so much. You're such a good, good father to us. Lord, we're, we're so blessed, more than we could ever think or imagine. And so, God, we praise you now. We're going to worship you, and we thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And God's kids said, Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.